I can honestly say that I wasn't prepared in the slightest for this stunning visual cacophony of colour, art and mayhem. Inspired by the outsider movement, Stephen Wright has turned his home in East Dulwich into the most beautiful and surreal life experience imaginable. His collection of everyday items others consider rubbish. Stephen picks up at flea markets and car boot sales, takes them home and calls them family. From dolls crushed under cars without heads, to wall and floor mosaics and storyboards with moving personal thoughts and observations. Every fragment, each item depicting a fleeting moment in his most personal story of love, life and death. All captured here in his house of dreams. As we sat back in his garden with the sun shimmering through wonderful foliage, talking over his life, Stephen came over as a gentle, welcoming and trusting soul, opening up his whole life for us to share. It's a little mad, but then, aren't we all? I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Well, here we are in East Dulwich in the House of Dreams, which is the home of Stephen Wright. Um, if you've never been here, it is an absolutely mouth-watering, eye-boggling, wonderful house full of the most amazing things, which until you come here and see it for yourself, just seeing it on video, on the website, just doesn't do it any justice at all. So I'm just going to preface everything we say by saying you've got to get yourself down here (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it is amazing. And Stephen Wright has done an absolutely incredible job. I've never seen anything quite like it before. So with that, I'd like to welcome Stephen Wright to the uh, Your London Legacy podcast. So welcome, Stephen. Okay, thank you. Uh, and thank you very much for inviting us into your home. It's a pleasure. And we've also brought with us uh, a photographer as well today. Indeed. Um, so thank you ever so much. And I know it's been a, a little bit of a traumatic time for you the last couple of weeks, because I believe you're having some fairly significant work done to the property. Well, yes, a loft extension, um, a new studio, which is needed now, really, because my studio downstairs, well, because we have so many visitors now to the House of Dreams, um, I need a private space i don't have a private space anymore that's because you've just expanded it and expanded it it's, it's a and living breathing it public place uh, yeah. yes apart from my bedroom which is mine that's fair enough i think that's <laughs> as it should be <laughs> you just share that with who you, who you think you should who share I it with. Yeah, you choose to share that not publicly so my not partner a, michael not on a, well that's fine <laughs> that's perfect yeah okay so Stephen, we're in this magical house which is yours and as i say i've never seen anything like it so we're going to touch on exactly how you came to develop this with your former partner, uh, Donald. Yes. But before we get there, I think it's important for the listeners to understand what inspired you to create this this magical property. Okay, I can do, I can explain that really. I mean, really Jarvis Cocker is to blame for this house. Okay. Um, because in 1998, I saw a, a program, well, when Donald was alive, we both saw a program called Journeys to the Outside. I think it was on BBC Two or something, about outsider artists. I I didn't know anything about outsider artists at all. Saw um, the series of programmes and was just, at, you know, just blown away by the environments, the, the honesty of the work. So I was at a point in my career where I'd sold my stationery business. Donald was a costume designer for West End shows and he was wanting to move on from all of that. We saw the programme. And then we went over to France to visit environments that were being built by outsider artists. I mean, some amazingly unique and emotional environments. And then 
we came back and started the House of Dreams Museum. So outsider or outside art is a is like a, for, a movement of art, which yes, is outside is. the normal traditional sort of concept? Yes. I mean, in France particularly, I mean, there's a big movement over there. It's called Art Brut, which was really labelled by de Buffet, the artist. It's really people who are untrained, who are compelled to create environments and make artwork, really. And they do work outside of the, you know, the mainstream. I've always felt an outsider myself, which has been very useful sometimes because it's got me a lot of work. But for me, finding out about the movement was was me sort of connecting with a family, an artistic family, a movement uh, of which I'm I'm now part of it. You know, particularly in France, where I I do lots of exhibitions over there. But I'm not an outsider artist. An out an outsider artist is someone who is untrained. You know, who hasn't been to university who works with instincts you know the work is raw i mean i went to university for eight years so i'm i'm not an outsider artist sure and the education you had in art was in textile art printed textiles yes okay. art textiles really which is what i did um up in liverpool and manchester which is my part of the world and then moved down here studied for nearly almost eight years and then moved down to London. I knew I didn't want to work for anyone else. I mean, I've been doing my own work all of that time. I wasn't going to take orders or do anything. Sure. Somebody else wanted. I, I just wanted to continue, which is what I've been doing all of my life so right. far. But you did have your own business before you... I've had a few created. businesses. Okay. I've had a few businesses. I have a history of building something up from nothing. And then when it's working, then I sell it because I don't want to know once it's worked. It's the struggle that I like. Uh-huh. The journey. Yes, the journey. Yeah. To get to somewhere, I mean, I had a stationary business and I, I w- um, was selling to Harrods, Harvey Nichols. You know, I designed it, you know, the products, produced it, marketed it, wrapped the parcels, did everything. But when you're selling in all of the main shops in London, you know, Harrods, Harvey Nichols, Liberty, Selfridges, you know, you've done what you wanted to do with it, really. Sure. So then it's time to get rid of it and and start with something else and to breathe life into something else yes new, new and also, creation. yes and also for my head you know i'm i need stimulus i need uh-huh. you know i'd achieve what i wanted to do previously to that i was a fashion designer and i've been a knitwear designer um i was a stylist for l decoration magazine i was head stylist for a while but i've always done my own work it's a sort of compulsion really right. but outsider art has a big influence on how i think about things and frees me up not to analyze and not to um i don't need to know why i'm doing things mm. you know other people ask me things i can't answer i so don't it's, know it's instinctive completely yeah. and that's that's the goal to go back to child yes um and i'm almost there it's brilliant. It's so let's so freeing. Go back to, let's go back to child for a moment then. So back to child. Let's okay. go back to child. So you were, you were an only child, I understand. Yes, You were yes. brought up in um, a small in Cheshire. holding up in Cheshire. Yes, yeah. I was, yes. And what was, what was your upbringing? I mean, you had a happy childhood? Yes, yeah. completely, yes. I mean, my parents were very supportive and um, had vision, actually. You know, I mean, I was born in, in the middle of the countryside in a town called Nantwich, which is a farming, um, a farming town near the Welsh borders. And my parents worked hard and they didn't want me to have that sort of life. They didn't want me to have the sort of life, you know, they'd had because they were born at the wrong time. They wanted to give me opportunity, which is what they did. So they wanted me to pursue what, you know, what I wanted to do in my life, really. So they enabled me to, you know, to do the house of dreams, really, and to do everything that I've done so far. Were they particularly artistic in nature or... Well, my dad was a collector of things. He didn't always know what to do with them. I mean, when they passed away, I went 
through the sheds at at home, and it was twelve sheds full of dolls and broken bicycles and all sorts of stuff that you know he'd collected. I mean, he didn't make anything out of the stuff. The occasional collage, sometimes, which you know, which might um, be in the house somewhere. But um, my childhood was full of love and support. Yes. Wasn't I lucky? You were oh, well, fa- fabulously lucky. Yeah. Yes, because not everybody I've, can say that. Yeah, I have no criticisms about anything. That's wonderful, yes. Not at all. So fast forward, you've had these successful businesses and you've decided to move on from them to create something else, another passion, your house of dreams. Yes. So this is the most important thing I've done so far. The most important and probably the, the biggest one and the one that's going to leave the biggest legacy as well, I Yes, I and the assume. most exhausting, The too. most exhausting. <laughs> but, but you still look quite fresh on it after all these years. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you said it was uh, Jarvis Cocker in the, that particular art movement which you came across yes. um, in the 90s that sort of yes. led you to decide you wanted to do something. I mean, were you already living in this home? I've lived in this house for 35 years now. So what was it originally? Was it just, just a just standard, a normal regu- house. regular house? Yeah, it's just a normal house. That I mean, I had a studio in the house and I was painting and doing my work. So what, what know, was the very first here. thing that clicked when the penny dropped? You thought, I know what, I'm going to turn this into the house of dreams and it's going to... I didn't have a big intent, you know, there was no big story here. There was no sort of intention to share it. As I think we said earlier on, you know, I work in a very instinctive way and I, I, I was compelled to create the house of dreams with donald really it was our baby the house of dreams was our you know i mean we were that was a love affair and the house was our so our donald baby. was your partner at the oh, time yes yes. Completely. Yeah. yes i mean he was my partner for 25 years yes until he died okay and he was part and parcel of the inspiration and the the support in, in helping you to create the uh, the house of dreams i'd say a support yes yes okay. indeed and things changed a few you know, as you know, I think a few years later, when Donald passed away, my parents passed away within the space of about 18 months. So all of the closest people in my life had gone. And the House of Dreams took on another role, really. It became therapy. It became a way of, of dealing with loss, really. Um, so would you say before the unfortunate passing of, you know, your, your close family... Mm. Would you say the House of Dreams was a more joyous sort of yeah. phase for you at that time? It at still that time is all the way through. Oh, it's it all is. joyous. Okay. It's all joyous. Because wandering around, there seems to be a dichotomy between, you know, life and death and happiness and sadness. That's life, isn't it? It, it, it is absolutely <laughs> life, yes. But sometimes you don't always see the stark contrast as you're so vividly showing, I think, in, in the exhibition here. Yeah. I think I said to you earlier, I don't, I don't analyze things too much. I'm, I work with instinct. That's, I don't want to analyze because that's being adult. I don't want to be adult. I just want to go back to child where I do things because that's how I feel. In, in the phases of the development of the House of Dreams, in okay. the early phases. Yes, I can tell you about the early days. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was much more decorative, really. When I, when I was working with Donald, it was purely decorative, really. And we'd go to Paris or, um, we'd go to various, places locations and we would collect objects from those locations but that was a sort of a different vision to where it is now so what was the vision at the time or as you say just fun you had no end game in mind no not at all it was purely for our own amusement actually and it still is it's for my amusement you know i mean i'd still be doing the house of dreams if i didn't see you or anyone else i'd still be doing it for me because that's an important part of what it's about. But sure. losing those people did move me onto 
using the house as therapy, yes, the work process, the physical work process of actually making things, sculptures, objects, with your, you know, with your hands, with those emotions in your heart, gets rid of, you know, quite a lot of the emotion goes into the object that you're making, so you get rid of a little bit more, mm. a little bit more each time. Mm. And that was a very important part of the process for me at that time. So you found it therapeutic completely. In, in overcoming the grief? And, oh, yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah. I mean, I, I would use my parents' clothes. I mean, I've got comfort sculptures here that I've made using my parents' clothes. What's a comfort know? sculpture? Comfort sculpture is something that I made to hug, to give me comfort. Such I, as? I, well, I'd make a sculpture out of my parents' clothes, uh -huh. which are in the first room that you, you know, that you come into. And, you know, you physically hug them because I haven't got a family. So I'm making another one. I didn't have a family, at, you know, at the time. So I yes. had to start to make a new one. Yes. It was just me in the world. That's it. So do you think of yourself outside of these four walls? Do you think, do you find it lonely outside? I mean... Well, Michael's my family now. Michael is your Michael family. Michael Vaughan yeah. is my yeah. family. Um, lonely. No, I don't find it lonely. I find because it... London itself can obviously can be a lonely place anyway, because it's obviously a, you know it's harsh. It's, it's harsh. It's harsh. Yeah, it's you can live in a street for many unfriendly. years, and people won't even bat an eyelid or say good morning to you. Yeah, half the which time. I'm not used to because no. it's not like that in the north no. of England. No. We I are friendly. I lived in Manchester for three years. Well, you and know I studied up there, and I, I had lots of family up in Manchester, and they're downside friendly. Than it's us, a different than us. world. London is some of us Londoners. Yes, it is a different world. It's a different world. But this is reflective of your life and your journey completely in, in the House of Dreams. Completely. Here. Yes. Because some would say it's a little bit eccentric or very eccentric. So? Absolutely nothing wrong with being eccentric. So? Yeah. <laughs> it's not to me. I can't really answer that. No. I'm, I'm just being me. Yeah. And this it's always been you. This has oh, always yes. been your way. Of... I've always done my work. The artwork is always for me. That's what's important. I don't, I, I, I haven't got one eye on, you know, on the marketplace. I haven't got why. I, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And that's why I, I get a lot of work. Because I go against everything else that's going on around me, I think. I'm true to myself. I, you know, you only have one life. Yeah. Because some people will journal their thoughts or keep a diary of their, their life. Do you do that as well? Or is this just how you express your... I don't share everything with the public. Some things are for me. People think they know me through the House of Dreams, but, you know, they know aspects of me. You just let them see what you want them to see. Exactly. Okay. That's my business. Of course. But you're still putting a huge amount of yourself and your personality on, on yeah. display here. And your, your emotions, negative yeah. and positive. I'm fine with myself. Yeah. I actually like myself. There's no reason not to I like, like myself as a gay man. I think I'm very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very lucky to, know, to be able to tap into different aspects of my sexuality, my male and my female. Mm -hmm. And I use it in my work. I'm very lucky. Mm. I'm very, I'm an old soul. So I know myself very well, and I also know myself from former lives because I am in touch with former lives. Yeah, there was something interesting I, I, I read or heard you say in one of your previous uh, video interviews was about everything you've got here you, is redesigned from another life or exists in another life. Oh, some said, of the objects are, yes. certainly. What, what do you some mean, of what the do you mean by that? Well, they speak to me. They come through me. I'm I'm a sort of... You know, I'm the vehicle. I'm the. I'm the sort of. You know, the um, certainly the sculptures and some of the artwork that I make. Those characters, because I do paint a lot of characters, exist somewhere else, and they want to be made real in this in this world. So that's what I do. I make them. You know, they come to me. They come through me. 
So do you see like a, a unique character in each sculptor or each piece? That oh, you, yeah, they you, speak to they, me. They actually speak to you. They've all got yeah. a different voice or a different character or personality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like I, I will never give birth, but it's like giving birth to a family. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. That's how it feels. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a fascinating. The truth. Yeah. <laughs> As I said, there's a lot of happiness and sadness and life and death yeah. in here. So I assume you're not scared of dying. A lot of people oh, have no. a fear of dying. No, you, be, you seem to. No, it'd be nice to have a rest. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not at all frightened of dying. No. I mean, of course, the house of dreams is something that I want to leave behind. It's, yes. it's about who I was or aspects of me, who, who I was. It's, that's an important part of the house of dreams. You know, there's so many other people who just have lives and go nowhere and do nothing with mm. it. Well, I'm not. I'm mm. doing this and this is what I'm leaving. So just tell us a little bit about the process of how you get all the the, the items mm. for the for the home. Sure, because they're from all over the world, aren't they? And people they bring are. them to you. Specifically yes, well. I mean there's very yes, I mean there's very little from England in my house, and there's hardly anything from London because, as we, I said earlier to you, London really doesn't do a lot for me. You know, I need to be living somewhere, so I live here, but I need to go to locations that speak to me. I go I go to Paris a lot, Barcelona. Madrid, India. We've just come back from India and I bought lots of stuff from there. And the objects that I, that I use speak to me again. You know, that they, they want to come home with me. They want to, me to use them in my work, whether that be a sculpture or an artwork or, you know, the House of Dreams. So everything has a memory that is here. You know, it's either the color or the shapes that I'm drawn to or the, or the crudeness of it. Crudeness, I mean, techniques wise mm. not yeah uh, not vulgarity no yeah. rough i mean quite a lot of the things have a you know a rough finish to them why do you think it appeals to you the the the, the roughness the the rawness and, and so that you've got hundreds of dolls from all all over the world mm. and some of them they're have been all, run over by cars or they're, they're yeah they're burned. all they're all disabled yeah so what is it about way. their disability that, that appeals to you i think because I, w- I was a carer for donald i l- learned a lot about disability mm. And I think I don't always know the answer to, you know, I can't answer that with any sort of great knowledge. I just feel like I need to bring them home and, and uh, you know, look after them because nobody else wants them. But would you say you see a beauty in the disability? Oh, yeah, than, yes, yeah. I do see a beauty and I see a, a strength of character that is an important part of that as well uh, through adversity. And do you see the same in real life with disability? Oh, yes. What about the, um, you got hundreds of sayings and things that people have said quote quotations are these things that have just come into your head are these memories from mum and dad in the past or people in a mix they're all a mix they're a mix you know i can hear something on the tube or on on the train which i think is funny or, or interesting so i'll write that down i'm i'm very good at getting people to talk to me on the bus though you know people will can tell me very easily um freely about their abortion that they've had oh really oh yeah i get to find out all sorts of stuff i love it because i'm interested in people yes it's you know it's genuine but certainly the boards that i write are called memory boards and um they are about you know my thoughts about life or about getting older things that you know happen to your body it you know it changes it doesn't do the things it used to do i have a need to want to record all of that really it's very honest i mean it is what it is you know i don't i don't wrap it up i just write it as it is and 
what's wrong with that? You know, I don't sanitize anything. You know, we live in a society that's sanitized. It sort of does my head in. So I'm drawn to frankness and honesty. So when you say we sanitize things... Our society sanitizes everything. We have a, you know, it's almost like you need a form to go to the toilet. Mobile phones are a way of controlling you. People have the most inane conversations on mobile phones. You know, they've just, you know, I don't know, they've scratched their head or they've just winked their eye or something. And it's, it's all about control, actually. And that's why I rarely, rarely ever use my mobile phone. So you're not very big on social media? No. No? No. That doesn't appeal to you? No, life's too short. But Permission. if you use social media for, there is a lot of inane stuff and petty stuff that is put out there on social media, like, you know, you've just been to the toilet or what you've had for breakfast <laughs> or, you know, whatever you're doing, I'll be home in five minutes, all that sort of nonsense. But equally, there's a lot of stuff which is raw and open. You can I will find, agree with yeah, that. Yeah. I, I will agree with that. And I do, you know, I obviously do look at the internet and I'm, I'm I am discerning how I spend my time really but yes we do live in a sanitized society and it's very dull mm. it's a bloody dull time to be living through yeah I mean I almost swore then and I would but I well you feel free to I swear this is yeah. we're not, I mean, I we're not censored here quite a lot well, you can say, um, <laughs> in <laughs> the right proportions yes <laughs> well that'll do but you know that does actually you know the house of dreams is about that as well it's about freedom it's mm. about not being told what to do you don't you know you don't have to fit the norm you know whatever that is you know i have a brain and i have a message and i'm going to pursue it and that's what i'm doing but i think less and less today there is there isn't a norm anymore i don't believe well there isn't a norm but there's a certainly there's a huge pressure to conform yes you know everyone looks the same particularly in schools yeah through university fashion and university it's all it's all got to follow a chosen route yeah. Yeah. So if you stand outside of that, you know, you're, you're, it's not going to be an easy journey, but you have to do what you need to do. Mm. It's, so do you see, see yourself as a bit of an innovator? What do you think? Well, I've not seen anything quite like this before. <laughs> so to me, it's innovative. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I would I, say, I would say yes. Okay. I don't know. I'm just doing what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing what I do. One of the things you said, um, it's also going back to what you said before about the characters are almost born through you. Yes, definitely. Although you don't physically give birth, you are emotionally, I suppose, giving giving yes, birth to the it's to, exhausting. To the characters and persons. creating some of the work. You yes. also said, I think that you've got hairbrushes here, for example. Mm, you know, DNA, DNA, and mm. you've got some of the hair still on the hairbrushes, mm. which are I love from, it. I don't know whether they're car boot sales or flea markets or some of those are from Manchester. From Somebody Manchester, sent, yes. But wherever they're from, you don't know. Who's used them in the past? I don't need li- to know little that. do you care either? No, I, I, I assume. don't. I don't. And that you you even can get the scent and the smell of some of the fabric and the hair and perfume that wafts around. Yeah, I think that's an important part. Not until I dealt with bereavement and going through other people's possessions and clothes did that really. Was I interested in that? No, but the intensity of those emotions going through my mum's clothes and finding hairs in her clothes which are now inside the sculptures in the front room here I just became aware of of you know those it's hard to explain really but I mean the material since then I mean I I was sorting through three people's things at the same time virtually so you find out a lot about the person in their clothes uh, secrets about them that you know they never told you 
which is fine. I, I don't have, we all have secrets. And that sort of led me onto wanting to use materials that had a history that smelt that, that, you know, stale perfume or, or stained or DNA, really, other people's DNA. And that's what I'm still doing now. I don't wash any of the materials that yeah. I have in the house. So do you encourage visitors to, to touch everything in the house or you just let them? No, they don't usually touch things. They don't, um, there's you know. lots of, it's very visceral. There's smell and touch and there's lots of different fabric and material. And Yeah, I probably wouldn't, don't really encourage that, encourage no. It, no. And I don't encourage any photography inside my house either. In fact, I say no. So what do I say about that? I don't know. I, <laughs> I, you know, I just leave people to their own devices a little bit and then they'll come and ask me a, a question about something. And if I can answer it, I will. I don't always know the answers to everything. Who does? So how has this developed over time? Do you, do you see like a mini project within the house that, you know, there's an area of wall or floor or ceiling I, I have to fill? Now I'm going to go and fill it. Or do you just, when you go out to Paris or Mexico, wherever you go, you see something, you think, ah, oh, that would be perfect for that space I have in mind. Well, I have certain themes going on. You know, there's lots of different themes within the House of Dreams. So I've always got my eye out for certain things. So just take us through some of the key themes you've got. Well, the themes are photographs, certainly from other countries. Yeah. Nearly always to do with families. Um, families you don't necessarily know. We've got no. No, but I bring them home and yeah. then they become my family. Sure. You know, I adopt them and they adopt me. Uh -huh. Certainly the dolls is a big an ongoing theme that will always be. As I said earlier, you know, their eyes don't work. They are they are disabled in some way. That their Many of them are headless as well, aren't they? They are headless, yeah. yes. It's not. Uh, it's a shame, isn't it? And, and the significance of them being headless? There isn't any significance. I just need to bring them home mm. and look after them. Do so you feel sorry for them? Oh, yes, definitely. I yeah. do feel sorry for them. I need to be their daddy and mummy. And mummy. Both. Yeah, brother and sister. At the same time, yeah. all of those things. Yeah. Things like... Wigs. I mean, there's lots of hair here. Eyeballs. False teeth. Eyeballs. Why? I why, love why eyeballs. eyeballs? Oh, I, I love eyeballs. <laughs> um, there's a shop in Paris where I go and buy eyeballs. Where I'm, I'm going tomorrow. Fabulous eyeballs. Glass. Glass eyeballs. Yeah, what, they're glass eyeballs. Real eyeballs. I mean, yeah. real, real fake eyeballs. Yeah, obviously. for people who are, prosthetic you know, eyeballs. Yeah, 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 indeed. And toy well, eyeballs from from dolls. Yes. Yes. Dolls eyeballs are great. Yeah. Um, what appeals to you about? I just like them. I like the. As objects, I like the eyelashes. I just like them. I don't really need to know why I like them. You're asking me to analyse things I don't really no, think about I, too much. <laughs> but, it, yeah, but, but deep inside, I'm just wondering that there's normally a reason for you or for one enjoying or getting a pleasure out of something. Just because they move just, me in some way. They you, yeah. you know, they appeal to me. Hmm. I need to have them. You know, I just it's just as an object, I, I get a lot. You know, they speak to me in some way to my inner child yeah i mean it's absolutely fair enough i mean some people <laughs> some people collect um you know vintage cars and some people collect uh blue and white pottery so what's to say that you shouldn't collect dolls with no heads and make art out of it i mean exactly it, it's absolutely classic outsider art well there is a tradition there or you know already mm. i mean particularly in france where you know there's a big tradition with dolls poupées. so i fit into that mm. sort of area very well there's also, I think, um, within the outsider art movement, there was there were artists who grew up with mental health problems and yes. you know, were artists within, like, um, yes. psychiatric hospitals, for Absolutely. example. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there are, yes, I mean, there is a section of 
certainly people who have through mental illness you know have created very exciting work i have to say mm. it's about obsession you know i understand their obsession because i'm obsessive there are you know the sort of links i mean i don't have mental health issues luckily but you have to be fairly determined to be doing what i'm doing there must be mornings when you wake up and think, oh, to hell with this. I can't, I can't be bothered to do no. anything today. No. no, no, no. So it really is that deeply ingrained in you. I love working. Yeah, it's, it's, it's who you are. Yes, completely. Yeah. I mean, it's like eating. It's yes. like breathing. Yes. It's, it, it's why I'm on this earth. Yeah. So, so you, don't, you don't see it as work then, presumably? No, not it's, at it's all. It's pleasure. No. Yeah. Well, it is a pleasure. I mean, it can be exhausting, but it's, it's certainly something I'm compelled to do. Mm. I have a work ethic. Mm. I always have had a work ethic to find out who I am in this mm. life. It's about finding out who you know who Stephen Wright is and I'm, I am a risk taker. I mean the visitors you have you have several thousand visitors I would imagine. Yes we in, did last year. In the course of a year that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Scary. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> you must be doing something right then. Yeah I don't know what because <laughs> I don't go out and get any publicity it all all comes here. What's the general feedback? I mean, does the feedback Nearly vary from, from age group to age group? I mean do, do adults see it one way and kids see it, see it another way? Yes, well, kids see it as colour and pattern and mm. objects. I yeah. mean, uh, much more of a you know a depth to the you know to the work than that. Adults choose to come here because they've seen it or they've heard about it, and they usually have their own sort of problems that you know they're dealing with. People open up and tell me all sorts of things you you know you wouldn't imagine. Yes, well, I'm fine with that. I yes. mean, I, I don't you know. I can't take their grief on board. Of course not, and neither should you. I don't you. want to. No. <laughs> uh, but I can certainly empathise. Yes, yes, I can. And and then sometimes people feel compelled to bring things and leave them here, you know, offerings, which can range from teeth to hair to... We have someone's ashes here. Uh, yeah, extraordinary. And of course, you know, I sort of love it, really. Yeah. Just talk <laughs> about the children. I mean... It would be wonderful because some of the children come here with, with preconceptions as to what art is and they see your collection and the art that you've created and hopefully will open up their eyes to a whole new world and what they can actually create for themselves is completely nothing to do with what they've ever imagined. Yes, I mean, it's sort of what, you know, I do, I do see a lot of schools here for sure and kids ask me about what, you know, the work is about. But I don't go into all of the all of the stuff that it is actually about. You know, they do see the pattern, they see the colour, they see, uh, you know, um, the shapes of the lettering or you know whatever it is. And I hope it sort of enables someone to follow their dream, which is what I've always been doing. You know, it's important to follow your dream to find, as I say, to find out who you are, and not to conform sure. with all of this stuff that's going on around you no well this is certainly a non-conformist <laughs> by, by any definition so what is the plan for the future i mean what what where, where, do, where do you go from here i don't know really because i'm an artist i'm not i'm not just the house of dreams and i think i've been working this out i mean it started in 98 i think i'm i'm not doing as much work on the house anymore because i don't have a need to i don't know whether that means that my you know my grief is over it is virtually over, so maybe I don't have a need to want to continue with the House of Dreams in, you know, in the same way. I don't actually know that is my answer, really. So the studio you've just had built that's upstairs, for painting that's, in. that's purely for painting. for painting? for Well, it's for painting, and it's also Michael and I are working on a new book. Um, we produced one book, which is in Tate Modern, about um, the House of Dreams. And we're now, which has been really successful. I mean, we've sold 
thousands of those are visitors here and certainly, you know, in bookshops all over London. So now we're going to produce a bigger book, which is not about the House of Dreams. We're about halfway through, which is a costume book. And it's about alter egos and various monsters and various things. That's a new direction. It's something that I've wanted to do for 20 years. And where's the inspiration come for that? Is that just something you've been fascinated with for a long time? Or is there something in particular that's driven you to... Well, as I'm getting older, I am 63 now. Right. I've, I have a need to want to express my ideas in other ways sometimes. Uh-huh. You know, the House of Dreams serves one aspect of who I am, but I can work in lots of different ways. Sure. And the costume book really is about exploring alter egos, I think. There's certainly aspects of Mexico within the book and Haiti and India and myself and my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just really exploring interesting images and Michael my partner is taking all the um, all of the photographs for the book and it's interesting working with you know another partner now on a new project yes so this is costume from around the world this is traditional costume from around the world no or? these are ones I'm, I'm actually making you're the creating your own myself. costume yes I am right okay. I am yes and I'm I'm wearing them I'm wearing everything in okay. the book but you can't see my face I'm actually hiding behind a mask or hiding behind something so that's a new project and that's going to be produced in the attic so is this do you feel this is almost going back a little bit to your previous life when you're in textile and fashion design or certainly taking the skill set from it could be a little bit yeah i think it's combining the two actually Mm. i think it's combining both you know the house with with you know my textiles really sort of making characters i'm bringing the paintings that i make to life i want to be the characters so that's what i'm doing i'm Mm. actually bringing them to life making them real and when do you think that project's going to come to fruition um, i'm not sure really i've i've just started to do performance as well which is new a friend of ours philippos sitsopolis who who is a performance artist who came into the house of dreams one day saw the house and you know was interested and asked us if because michael vaughan who is, is my partner is an actor uh, so you know he's used to audiences used to performing i'm not um, asked us if we wanted to be in a film that um, he was doing and we said yes so you know we took part in the film and we did a performance piece together which you know I mean there wasn't really a script it just happened we sort of worked with you know a rough guidelines but then it sort of developed and like the work does and that was interesting so I can see myself doing performances with the characters that I'm making for the book Okay. What that's about? I've no idea. You've no idea. Not You're just really. going to go with the flow and see where it I takes you. I want to push boundaries. Yes. That's what I, I need to do that. It's, uh-huh. it's really important. Risking. It's all part of the uh, the journey, isn't it? Yeah. The risk. Well, because if you don't risk well, it's push part boundaries, of mine. You, don't, you don't grow <laughs> and learn. Well, exactly. Who wants to do the same thing and not know, you know, and know every day for the rest of their lives? How, how boring is yeah. that? How tedious? I totally agree. I've no idea what I'm doing really from day to day and I, it seems to work. I make a living out of it. <laughs> you, must be, you must be doing something, right? Because I do you're rather well out of it, really. <laughs> um, so I think that's, you know, and it's honest. I think that's what's important. You know, this work is honest. It comes from the heart. It's not, it's not pretentious. Mm-hmm. It's childlike, certainly. Childlike, but it's not childish. No, it isn't. It's very, very grown up. Yes, it is. Well, the themes are, aren't they? Yes, they certainly are. Yeah, Yeah. that's how it is, really. Okay. Well, 
I think on that note, <laughs> I'd like to thank you very much indeed for your hospitality. You're for, very welcome. For, for showing us around. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure <laughs> to, to see the House of Dreams and, and to meet you. You're very welcome. And to uh, dig a little bit deeper into your background and to your artwork as well. Okay. So thank you very much. But bef just before we go, if you can just tell everybody how they can find you. Of course. On uh, the internet or social media or if they want to buy any of your artwork. Okay. Well, the House of Dreams, uh, yes, I mean, you can find out all about the House of Dreams and the open days and all of my artwork on my website, which is www.stephenwrightartist.com. And you can find out when, you know, the open days are and, you know, for the rest of the year, really. Yeah, there we are. Lovely. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs>